Hello and welcome to a special edition of Rob's 1201, uh, uh, to, to analyse uh, and pour over um, almost a week's worth of events in, in an election count in the US presidential elections. Nothing like a UK election where it's all done and dusted uh, by, by roughly 2pm in the morning, at uh, 2am sorry, in the morning the next day. Uh, instead, the US election had us um, on the edge of our seats for, for the best part of the week, really. Um, I suppose the, the final couple of days there, it, it was fairly clear Biden was, was going to clinch it. Um, but but at least for a two or three days after the initial count, it, it wasn't looking all that certain at all. Um, and I, I suppose technically the count's not over, is it? it it's, still, it's still technically getting on. There's, I think four states still to technically declare. Um, so they, they, I was going to say they don't mess around in their counts in the US, but I suppose they do mess around a little bit. Uh, and, and they take they take a lot longer to count their votes than, than perhaps a lot of other countries do. Although I've always said um, I, I'd rather a country take its time counting votes than, than rushing it. I always get a little bit nervous when you see... Um, Callum, I don't know if you can remember, what, what's the first constituency that's famous for always announcing first in the UK? It's always up in Sunderland, but it's, it's the old battle between Sunderland and Newcastle as to who will get the fastest one in. I know Jess Phillips did joke about bringing in some people from Sunderland to uh, <laughs> to Pennsylvania and all the rest of them. Yeah, I, I mean, I've always been a, a little bit nervous because there's always a clip on BBC News on election night of, of someone running with a ballot box from there. And I always am a little bit nervous in that I'm like, OK, I, I wouldn't mind waiting an extra hour or so for, for the calendars, and you know, so you're crystal clear it's, it, it's accurate. But uh, I think maybe the US election has pushed that, pushed a lot of people's patience a little bit. But anyway, as we are, there are still uh, a small number of states still to declare, but, um, but Biden is widely now um, held as, as the next president of the United States, um, with most, although notably not all, and maybe we'll come on to that as a, as a hint of what it will mean for foreign relations. Uh, but, but not quite all world leaders congratulating Biden on a, on a victory, but, uh, but most world leaders seem to be accepting that result now. Um, and most ma- major media outlets are declaring Biden, Biden as president. Of course, Trump hasn't conceded. Um, I, I don't think he ever will concede at this rate. Um, and, and he does have uh, legal challenges pending in, in a number of states, although it doesn't look that likely like it's going to get him anywhere. So uh, before we before we pour over the results in, in a bit more detail and what it means for the future of US and world politics, um, Callum, what, what are your first thoughts? What, what What's it been like for you for the last few days? What's been going through your mind? Well, uh, I was initially quite worried in the lead up to the election. I, I I was rather pessimistic at times that actually Trump was going to get in. Um, I didn't believe the polling one bit, and rightly so, as it turns out. Obviously, Biden did sneak it, and, and I'm glad Trump is gone. Um, but I think that oh, they could have picked someone better. I'm sure somebody with a with a proper set of policies that would have offered some real transformation would have wiped... Trump out the water, they would have blown him away. But instead, we were left with this this week long saga of of it states flipping between Trump and Biden, and the postal votes and the drama of stop the vote and start the vote. And it, it I mean, it was dramatic. Obviously, as a politics student and, and as somebody really interested in this sort of thing, it was it was dramatic. But as somebody that wants to see what is what is technically the largest de- democracy in the world functioning and, and delivering some great outcomes and some some people with big ideas that how we can really transform the world it was rather disappointing to see come the end of it really it was 
it was almost a, a whimper, an, an exhale of, of relief that, oh, well, at least Trump's out. But, oh, wait, we've got, um, well, Sleepy Joe, as, as Trump likes to call him, in, in the White House instead. So, so do you, for you, do you think uh, if, if Bernie had been in the candidacy, would we have been looking at uh, a much... Uh, well, a, a much earlier night, perhaps, maybe not a per, an earlier night, but a much shorter counting week. Do you think? Do you think Bernie would have would have clinched it much quicker than Biden? Potentially, yeah. Um, I, I I've had this conversation with a few people over the last few days about Bernie, whether he was the candidate that would have really done that. I think certainly his policies would have, um, but for me, certainly come. I mean, obviously, potentially Biden could stand again, but come the next election or, or the next round of when, when the Democrats are trying to choose their, their their person to stand for the White House, I'd like to see someone just a bit younger, but with, with that same passion of Bernie Sanders. Whether Bernie would have done it, I, I'd, I'd hope so. Certainly his policies, as I say, would be popular. Um, whether, an, again, an old male, pale, stale sort of approach is, is, is what America needs is, is up for debate and whether America really wants that again is up for debate. And they sort of had to choose between Biden, who was an establishment figure and very much his politics were very central, um, or Trump, who was very quickly becoming an establishment figure, um, very quickly becoming stale, um, not really doing much of his time. But again, they had to try and bring themselves to vote for him or not vote for him. I, I think they could have had someone, surely, that would have challenged Trump a bit more really pushed him on his policies, really pushed him on for what he actually stood for, cutting out the rubbish, cutting out the the, the loud gestures, the, the, the arm waving, the, you know, it's, it's, it's really not the politics that I think people with, with aspirations, you know, people that own small businesses, people that are looking to maybe start a family or they're leaving university and wanting to set up a, a, a life for themselves. If, if that really is the pinnacle of US politics, then I think something's gone wrong. I really do. And um, uh, Ollie, what, what were your thoughts on? Uh, I, I suppose I don't know whether you stayed up to watch any of it, but but talk me through the the mix of reactions you had for throughout the, the last few days. Well, it, it was a bit of a roller coaster, as Callum said. Um, I mean, I didn't stay up for the the whole night. Um, I think. I mean, maybe it could have because, uh, but I, I didn't expect the, the results to come in straight away, obviously, because it is an election week rather than election night, uh, as, as many people say in America. But um, yeah, I mean, for the whole week, I was just kind of on the edge of my seat because it, it was looking uh, initially when we just had um, the majority of the election day votes and, and, and Trump was quite on top. It was quite scary. Obviously, we knew that would happen, but it, it was debated the extent that he'd be able to um like win a lot of states across like the midwest and like america um and then obviously it was it was looking more relief towards the end of the week um when it was it was biden that was on top and and those uh those mail-in ballots were those pesky mail-in ballots were were being counted legally Um, but yeah, it's just it was a it was a bit of a roller coaster. I suddenly, like in our, in our household, we just had we had CNN on like twenty four seven. We had uh, we we all became kind of experts in in US politics overnight. 
um, as we were, it's just, it's just incredibly important, I think, for the world, not, not just for America, but for the world. Um, cause it, it does kind of set the tone of, of kind of international relations as a whole, really. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm obviously very relieved. Um, but I have, I have some concerns with Biden, but, um, it is good to, to know that, um, well, uh, it will be good on the twentieth of January when we know for sure that the Trump is out. Trump is out of the White of the White House, but um, it's uh, it, it's certainly very relieving. And and this election was as one of, of many firsts as well. We had a lot of um, really kind of kind of progressive things for America. A lot of um, um, yeah, some some really good be- people being elected, and, and the the squad, of course, being being reelected. There's pro- progressive senators, which is great. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose that there's several several stories or, or, or narratives going on here, isn't there? So the, the, I suppose that the first big thing to unpack is um, whilst the Democrats uh, have won the presidency, they certainly didn't seem to have won it um, quite as comfortably um, as they were expecting. Now, in fairness, actually, if you if you look at the the poll of polls, sort of a you know just just before the election, so. Um, um, I'm looking at uh, CNN's website at the moment, um, and I, th- I think you know the the, poll- the polling average was was putting Biden on something like fifty to fifty two percent of the of the popular vote as a polling average, um, which which is actually um, not not that far off what he actually got in in terms of the popular vote. Um, so uh, actually, the, the polls didn't seem to massively overestimate at least his share of the popular vote. And, and therein is the other issue in terms of how the, po- the popular vote actually, you know, often doesn't match up um, with, with the electoral college outcome. Um, as, as we saw in, in 2016, I actually read a stat that said um, seven out of the last eight elections, the Democrats have won um, have won the popular vote. Um, but obviously, they've, they've not kept on the presidency for all that time. So it, and, and obviously, that's tied into a wider issue of... of um, electoral systems and first past the post which is obviously a, a battle that, that we have in the uk as well so uh, we could come into that in a second as well but also i think the, so the side of the problem that, that does seem to have not held up as much is um predictions for individual states i think t- the probably the the biggest uh, boon for trump in in the early hours of, of the election night were um the fact that Florida went went to Trump again, um, despite me- many thinking that the Democrats had quite a good chance of flipping that state. Um, I don't know if you really want to come in on either of those issues, the, the polling and, and the, the electoral college system. Yeah, I think the uh, when it looked, when, well, we know about polling as being quite problematic um, in, in a lot of situations at the moment. Polling really doesn't indicate um, very well what people are actually thinking. I know that some of the analysis of, of the of the polling in America has actually turned around and said that actually because it's such a, a diverse country, because even on a state level, I mean, Florida, let's dig into there. If you look at all the different groups that make up Florida and how it votes and how it goes one way or another, it could be very easy to pick up on, on just one small group's uh, chatterings, what they're talking about, who they're thinking of backing. And just assuming the state's going that way. But actually, it's so much more complicated than that. So, I mean, polling really needs to start to dig into the, so many different communities and subcultures and political 
entities that exist on a state by state basis as well. So when they're predicting 50 states, it's a very difficult job. And I, and I do think that pollsters do have one of the hardest jobs in politics as it goes, certainly at the moment with the how, how, uh, how uh, really flippant things can be going back and forth between one thing and another and people going for populism as well, which has caught us obviously since 2016. But I think the important thing is, is that ultimately Biden did win. But this, this prediction that he was going to completely wipe everyone away, it could have happened. Obviously, we know that Trump managed to do extremely well by targeting the right states, but still not getting that many votes compared to Hillary Clinton. He could have potentially done it again this time around, but actually the Biden campaign has realised how the system works and you've got to play it right and you've got to go for those Rust Belt states. And if you can win those and a few other states in sort of central, in the central areas of America, then you have a really good chance of, of winning it. So the polls, they're not very good. They're rubbish. But it seems to be the campaign teams need, well, they do know where they need to go in order to win the elections, which is problematic because it does mean that a number of states are ignored. You know, I don't think you're going to see uh, both cam both campaigns sending up a, a lot of resources to Alaska or Hawaii or California because they're just not, they're not battlegrounds, which means a lot of people do get ignored during the election, which I think certainly for the people in America looking at their system, that would be something for them to discuss. And, and well, I don't know if they will change it, but it would be something a lot of people will be willing to change if they could yeah and i think i think you're right about polling i mean it i, I you mentioned earlier that you were skeptical of polling I, I actually sort of fell into the trap of polling a little bit and i i think i think partly the, the 2019 general election in which we were like oh yeah polling's a rubbish these days we'll be fine and then actually we, we did do quite badly um i think that's burned me a little bit um but i i think it's almost become a bit of a cliche hasn't it a particular select um, of oh well polls are rubbish you know I, I think sometimes we, we do overestimate how wrong polls are sometimes um so so i i and you know polling there was a really good podcast um by the guardian uh the week before the election the way they, they devoted a, a whole half hour to, to polling and, and the issue of polling um and you know the pollsters have put in a, a number of things to try and correct for for how famously wrong they got it in 26 in the 2016 clinton race um you know they 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 Think about a number of factors, you know, and some of these are relevant to the UK. So this idea of a of a, a shy Trump voter, you know, you get contacted by someone. I think particularly relevant actually for Trump and his populism is, you know, you, you get contacted by someone that you may perceivably see as the establishment, and um, you know, asking you questions about how you're going to vote. You can understand why, how in the mindset of certain Trump voters, there would be a reluctance to actually um, confirm that you were voting for for Trump in that instance. Or, or, you know, maybe just, just not answering the phone or, or putting the phone down once you know what's going on. So, you know, there is definitely a, like a, a shy Trump effect um, going on. So I, I think that there's a number of other issues. And I think the pollsters did actually put quite a bit of work into to try and correct for those. Although it looks like, again, they, they've not quite managed that. I think a, a really interesting thing as well is that by, by some early analysis, Trump seems to have increased his share of the vote um, amongst ethnic minority groups in the US. Um, which for me, you know, that that is a real question for the Democrats to ask themselves. But yeah, you pro probably the most outwardly racist. I mean, well, probably not m the most outwardly. You know, that we have president, the US presidents that are openly supported slavery. So it, you know, maybe not not the most ever, but certainly within the last fifty years, probably the most outwardly racist president. 
Um, and yet he's managed to increase his share of the vote amongst certain ethnic minority groups in the country. That, to me, is a re- real question that the Democrats need to start asking themselves. Um, I don't think it helped that their own candidate hasn't got the most perfect record on race issues either. Um, but but even so, against Trump, you know, it, it should be a walk in a park. And, you know, and again, the guy did a good podcast on, you know, some, some groups feel like, and, and Labour has this problem in the UK, I think, where uh, certain communities feel like actually the Democrats just take their vote for granted. They just assume they've got it, and so they don't work for those. You know, they don't work for those votes. They don't. They don't do the hard work in those in those communities, um, and that can even be reflected in policy sometimes. You know, and, you know, I think a famous example was that was when uh, the, the Tories brought out that disastrous 2017 manifesto that had all sorts of things that would penalise pensioners. That was a really classy example of a party so confident in its vote amongst a certain demographic, they knew they could put things in there that would actually harm them quite a lot and, and still feel confident in ensuring up that section of the vote. Um, Ollie, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on, on polls and electoral colleges before we move on. Uh, I mean, you put it fantastically there. I think um, it, is, it is quite concerning uh, that Trump has managed to increase his, his majority in, uh, in the vote share of minorities. Um, by managing to to get those like to to swing his way almost um, to to convince them to to vote for him even though um, he actively like in, in his policy he's actively like marginalizing them and being well institutionally racist towards them so that is that is extremely concerning I kind of share that that concern um, I, I think I, I don't know I, I have a lot of thoughts it's quite hard to put into into words because i felt so many things throughout this kind of week um i think it just this whole election has just again um kind of illustrated how deeply um fractured and and polarized american society and american politics is um it's it's i I mean obviously uh, biden is is right to stand on a platform of of um of like to heal America because it is kind of broken. I just, I don't know whether, as you say, whether they've kind of ignored young people and they've they've ignored minorities in those, um, in those not so key places because they've assumed that their vote is safe when in reality, that's just not the case, as you say. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I want to move on to to what the result means for for the parties i think and and the candidates um, and then and then we'll move on to to what it means for the rest of us as well um but i i suppose you, you touched on that there ollie about this this idea and i think that has been the overwhelming narrative of, of election coverage is that um you know even when it was it was still being described as a knife edge election and we weren't quite sure which way it was going to go what a lot of people seem very confident of quite early on is that whoever was going to win it? It was it was quite clear from how close it, the battle was in some states, um, that this is still a deeply divided country. Um, I mean, you know, you, you would think a, a president like Trump, he's overseen the death of over two hundred thousand people of his own, you know, of his own citizens, primarily due to his own incompetence as as a world leader. Um, he has led some, you know, it, the, the things he says in in public spaces. Uh, racist, uh, ableist, sexist comments, um, the sorts of people he associates with and endorses, the tactics he employed during the election in terms of suppression, uh, you know, casting aspersions on the result of the election, 
encouraging people to 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 mobilize near ballot you know by by voting stations uh his record on the world stage um you know it, it, he he should by any means have have absolutely seen a collapse in his vote share and he hasn't you know and i, I think you know let, let's explore that a little bit is that what's going on there how do we explain that how has trump managed to to have, you know his vote is is held up in in many states in in a way that was just not predicted by anyone and and in all fairness and honesty and justice should not have happened um how, how has he managed to do this is it is it because the democrats put up such a list of candidate um is is it sort of that trump embodies something beyond himself to to certain sections of the of of the American public, what's going on? How do we begin to get our heads around this, Ollie? Um, well, I think I think the reason I don't, I don't know, I can only speculate, but I think the reason he's so popular is because he stands on this, this platform of um, he, he's so like anti-establishment, he's so almost like rebellious in his attitudes, and he he kind of represents all these people that. Uh, like a broken in America where the system has just completely failed them. Um, and I think that's the reason he kind of does so well almost, even in the midst of, as you say, like this this massive global pandemic, which has killed hundreds of thousands of Americans. Like it's an absolute scandal that the Democratic Party haven't, haven't had a complete like landslide, that they haven't won by that. And I think they need to really re- like reflect on themselves. Um I kind of echo the the comments that Alexandra Ocasio Cortez has said, um, which have, have rightly kind of, um, well, she's she basically said that um, they need to kind of reflect on themselves that that they really should like should have won by a lot more than this, and and there's so many problems in the the Democratic Party. They really need to um, like look onto themselves and and reflect and like really kind of determine what they stand for because i think rightly she said um that they wouldn't have won without the left if they hadn't like got got behind them if they hadn't um like been a massive drive for for voter registration in these really key states i just i don't know it's it's really scary that this was only won by um by a like a thread really callum what what are your thoughts what why was trump's vote able to hold up so well well, I, I was surprised when I saw the numbers. Trump actually increased his, his, his votes. The number of people that voted for him went up. Um, yeah, I, I think it's that's... gone from, uh, sorry, I've got the figures. It went from you know, 60, 65 million um, in 2016 to about 71 million um, at, at the time of recording. Obviously, part of that is because of, of a higher number of voters in, in general. We should have mentioned that actually. Um, there was, as much as aspersions were cast on the, on, on the election process, Without any evidence by Trump, um, this is sort of a success story for democracy in that, that you know it's a record turnout for the US. Um, so well done to the US in that sense, at least. Sorry, Callum, carry on. No, no, it, uh, thanks for the figures, and and that that was astonishing. But actually, when you think about it, Trump's whole uh, his whole campaign ethos is about mobilizing people. He talks about sort of this conflict with the establishment. This this war mentality he's talking about he's the outsider and he's representing the little man the working man and woman across the country he's well mostly actually he's talking about representing men you know and, and it's it's 
hyper-nationalism as well, making people extremely proud to be American. Nothing wrong with being proud to be American, but when you're channeling it into such negative campaigning, into causing division and hatred towards other groups. And then I, th- I found it quite interesting that throughout the, the, the whole election, he was talking about Biden being some sort of communist, some sort of socialist infiltrator into the system. It was like some sort of neo-McCarthyism. He was saying that that Biden is this threat to the system. He's going to side with Cuba and Venezuela and North Korea. And I think that that's absolutely astonishing for a presidential candidate, a mainstream presidential candidate in the United States to be saying such things. But what that did was it got people out and ready for this big fight that he was bigging up, this big culture war that we've been talking about so much but actually he was he was ready he was you remember he told the proud boys to stand by he was telling far-right militias to stand by and then i don't think we should really be that surprised that actually a lot of people were turning out and a lot of people certainly on the right were actually ready for this fight so it's it's it really is a good thing that the the left and the and the centrists or at least the more moderate liberals in the in in the United States, managed to mobilize so many people to stop this because it was a it's a big wave of of, of people turning out for Trump there, and that and that's incredibly worrying from my, from my perspective that there's so many people that are still sympathetic to such views. Yeah, sorry, just a correction. Um, Trump got sixty just under sixty three million votes um, in twenty sixteen, and he's got set and he got seventy one votes, seventy one million votes um, this time around. Um, so actually, you know, quite quite a big increase actually in the number of people voting for him. Although I'm not quite sure what that matches up in terms of percentages. Um, but I think you're right about the Proud Boys point. You know, if you if you see some of the comments both before and actually during the election count, um, it it was actually deeply concerning to to hear the comments from Trump. I mean, you know, he he came out on election night and declared that he won the election, um, and and declared that. Uh, Fraud. I think you know his phrases were fraud on a on a mass scale. Something wasn't that like something he said in the early hours. I mean, maybe he was a bit tired. I don't know. But um, it, you know, outrageous things for 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 a candidate to be saying without you know, bear in mind, not a single scrap of evidence. It's not like he's got some sort of evidence that that maybe warrants a, a, a bit more investigation. And 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 he, he you know he, he's maybe overblown that a little bit, but he's sort of got a point. There's no evidence. The Trump campaign has presented no evidence that any solid or, or hard evidence for for any of this. Um, and he's walking out on a stage in, in, the, in the middle of a count and saying that he's won the election. Um, and like you say, pr- prior to that, he, he openly called for, for what are essentially militias to, to, to patrol voting stations. Um, and we did see a little bit of that. Um, I don't know if they were connected to any sort of organised group, but there, there were some Trump supporters that blocked a road um, off to, you know, that led to a, a polling station and, and things like that. And I, I'm not suggesting those activities necessarily had a, a, a significant impact on the, on the result. Um, but you know, deeply, deeply concerning things to to, to come from a, a you know a candidate for presidency of, of the most powerful country on the planet, um, and I, I do think um, I think a lot of this stems from capitalism is failing. It's fallen apart around our ears, um, and it, and it's failed people in a lot of those communities that vote for Trump. It's failed them for forty years, if not more, um, and candidates like Joe Biden and and Hillary Clinton. Um, and others in the UK, you know, of, of the Blair faction, 
I think I think Starmer's legacy I think still has to be written, and I don't think it's definitely clear yet what what his legacy will be. But um, you know, these politicians have failed those people in those communities, and that's not to say that that Clintons and Blairs of the world didn't achieve anything. They did. They they did achieve progress in in certain areas. Um, but the, the fundamental inequalities in society were, were not addressed. They were those those battles were actively avoided, um, and and I think you know you, you have a system that fails groups of people so consistently for so long. Um, is it any wonder that they distrust the establishment, that they vote for someone that doesn't speak like a politician, um, that they go for the outside choice? Now I think that analysis. I find that hard to swallow a little bit when it comes to a candidate quite as horrific as Trump um, and, and all the, the very the very overt sort of sexism and racism and and and, and the, the bizarreties of his of his own behaviour. Um, but I suppose really what that speaks to is a failure of the left to, to convince these people and provide for these people um, when to provide these people when, when they're in power and to convince these people when they've not been in power. Um, and, and I don't think a Biden presidency necessarily has the tools to, to deal with that, certainly not in a four year period. Um, you know, what we need is a fundamental transformation of how society operates in the US, in the UK, in global institutions to address massive challenges like inequality, climate change and aging population and you know, automation at work. You know, what, what are the big ideas that, that people of Biden's ilk have to tackle those issues? How are they going to solve those issues? And like we said, I think, you know, the re-election results show a very deeply divided um, country in the US. And I, and I don't think that's just going to go away with a Biden win and, and the sort of policies Biden's putting forward. Don't get me wrong, Biden is infinitely better than Trump, and I'm glad he has won. It's a it's a necessary first step to, to defeating Trump and, and the sort of forces that gather around him. But what, and I said this before, before the, I think it was the last podcast we did before the election, is my worry now is that establishment types will see that Biden is victorious and think that's politics back to normal and that things can go back to how they were. I think that would be a deep, deep misreading of, of what's happened here and, and what's happened over the last four years. Um, I think that the phrase that's going around some some circles on social media is Biden has defeated Trump, but but he hasn't defeated Trumpism. And, and, I, and I think it's going to take those of us a bit further on the left than Biden to, to push parties like the Democrats and the Labour Party um, to, to offer that transformative vision to actually defeat Trumpism. Ollie? Yeah, I think you absolutely got it right there. It was so eloquently put. Um, just to come back to the point about um, evidence, um, like like among your supporters, obviously it is, it's incredibly important to have evidence when you're making these kind of allegations against, against the electoral system and against democracy itself, really. Um, but among his supporters, does he need does he need to have evidence? Like, apparently not, because there's still like millions of people in America that think Trump have, Trump has won, and they'll they'll literally like defend him and believe everything he says to his grave. What's even more scary, just to reiterate about um, about those points earlier, um, there's this obviously he's increases his vote share of the people um to 70 million there's been 17 million guns sold this year as well and then he's telling white supremacist groups to stand by it's incredibly scary and even if even if um the the electoral system has kind of as as poised biden as the winner does that really matter to those those millions of people that that believe in trump 
And then um, to move on as well to the, what you were saying about is Biden what we need at the moment is is what America needs to to kind of move beyond these really polarized like kind of politics. Um, I mean, I don't think he's the the transformative kind of candidate that some people have have pitched him as. I don't think that. I mean, he, he's seventy seven now. He'll be seventy eight next month. He'll be 72 by the time, sorry, 82 by the, the time his first term's up. He's he's probably not going to run for a second term, if I'm honest. Um, and can he achieve what he's kind of set out to achieve in, in four years? I just, it's, I don't know whether, I don't know whether I can believe in that. Yeah, and I, I suppose this, this we've started to, to come on to the, the broader implications of a, of a brighter, uh, sorry, a Biden presidency. Um, for for the world, I suppose, uh, for for the US and for the world, um, Callum, what are your thoughts? What what do you think? Um, what what's Biden going to do? What what impact do you think he's going to have? I suppose for for us on this podcast, what we're interested in is, um, what will life look like for the working class in in America and other countries, um, with the Biden presidency? I I struggle to see whether he's going to do anything really radical, something that we would encourage. I mean in the in the election he was openly downplaying his effect on making healthcare easier to access for working class americans he was talking about his 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 green new deal or at least his version of it but it it seemed like it wasn't going to go as as far as as certainly what some would like and certainly what i would like to see really we want america to be taking the lead in in, in the green economy but i i struggled to see how sort of middle of the line walking along a, a tightrope trying to bring a country together for for biden how that's going to play out i think that he's talking of unity is going to end up getting crossed over with with basically doing nothing and not to mention he hasn't yet got the senate ultimately we could see gridlock in the us we could see the policy process, the legislative process, completely shut down. And if it shuts down, Biden won't get anything done. We see it, we've seen it in the second term of Obama that happened. We saw essentially nothing able to get through until eventually something gave or somebody gave some concessions. And if he's really serious about defeating Trumpism, as, as you put it, Bradley, I think he needs to start looking to, to the more progressive democratic socialist policies that are around there and some of the younger members of, of the democrat party that are really putting out some fantastic ideas really putting putting a voice to to the concerns of of, of ordinary americans ordinary working class people you know he, he he says that he speaks for the rust belt the blue collar workers well it's time to put his mouth where there's money where his mouth is and really really start to stand up and, and really start to put forward some real progressive policies because as it currently stands i can't see him doing the radical policies that really need to be put in place i mean as you said earlier sort of your clintons and your uh, your obamas and and those sorts of figures they've done some good things and blair as well he's done some good things but it's never been enough to change that balance of power, to really see ordinary people have an input and succeed in society. 
it's always been about maintaining the status quo with a few concessions. And I, I'm really struggling to see Biden do that. But I am for sure have well, I have more faith in Biden doing it than Trump, put it that way. Yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, one of the things that's been talked about quite a bit um, in, in the press at the moment, uh, I think it's because the act happened um, on, on the day of the US election, I think it was, or thereabouts, is um, so Biden's pledged to pretty much immediately um, put the US back into the climate change agreement, which obviously Trump quite famously um, take, took the US out of. Although because of the terms of the agreement, I think the US only actually withdrew, I think it was, I think it was the day of the election or, or the day after, maybe on the day of the count. Um, the US actually withdrew from the, the Paris Climate Change Agreement. Um, and Biden has pledged to, to put the US straight back in that um, and back into the World Health Organization, which obviously Trump, you know, sort of friend his uh, toys out the pram, um, left um, uh, during the start of the COVID. Great great time to, to leave the World Health Organization in, in the middle of a global pandemic, but that's Trump view. Um, so I suppose they, my point is these things are good. Obviously, the US should be back in the Paris Climate Change Agreement. It, it really, really damages the, the the legitimacy of that agreement if one of the, the world's biggest economy not in it. Um, you know that 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 is a real issue, and I, I think it's great to see Biden's planning to, to, to go back in it. My question is, is that then you know just being in the agreement is no good, and we already know that the individual pledges that countries have made and, and the things they're putting in place will not will not be enough to to meet the the, the targets in that agreement. And um, so. Is Biden then going to, you know, is he, is he just going to put us back in an agreement or is he going to follow that up with a comprehensive Green New Deal in the US um, that, that invests in green jobs, in, in insulation and renewable energy and, and, and research and all the rest of it? Or, or is it just going to be sort of a tokenistic back in the agreement? Now, I know Biden has actually said quite, quite a few good things about, about a green economy during, during the period of campaigning. And, and, and some suggest he's, he's been influenced by, um, by the um by the Sanders campaign and by by some of the the younger uh, members of the party coming up like AAC, um, but but will we see a comprehensive Green New Deal in the US that revolutionises um gr- the green sector in the US and and provides well paid unionised jobs? Uh, I am sceptical that we will see that to the extent that we need it, um, but but I, I, I suppose we'll certainly see it more than we did under Trump. Uh, Ollie, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I really sure, I really sure hope so. Um, I hope um, Biden can 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 like can actually um, follow through with what his um, kind of pledges were in his campaign, and he and he has, as you say, taken on a lot of what the policy of the Green New Deal is from from Bernie Sanders. Um, but I don't, I don't know, I don't know if it's enough, as as Callum says, if he's not in control of the Senate, if he's not control in control of the House of Representatives, and, and the whole. The whole system is just there working against him. Is it? Is it going to be a gridlock? As it, as uh, as Callum said, sorry. Um, uh, I'm quite sceptical at the moment, but um, I'm really hopeful. I suppose my, my final question for for a couple of minutes from each of you and your thoughts is, um, what what role do we as the left have to play? Um, I suppose com- comrades in the US um, and also thinking of our own situation. Um, in the UK, what what role does the left need to be playing over the coming months and years, Callum? Like it's it's turning into a bit of a cliche from me, but get involved, get involved in your local parties. If you if you're a uh, in America, get involved in your local party. If you're in Britain, get involved in your local party because actually we can do so much 
better than what we're doing now in terms of making a, a real positive argument for some of the fantastic transformative policies that we have. Instead of, I mean, we, we've spoken about negative campaigning as being a, a sort of a theme of, of the presidential election, sort of name calling and bullying and sort of saying, oh, well, they're rubbish or they're more racist than me. Well, actually, let's change that narrative. Let's start talking about the big issues of the day. Let's say we've got this fantastic Green New Deal. It's going to transform our economy. It's going to ensure our environment is protected and it's going to secure the earth for subsequent generations. That is that is some great policy. That is some great action that we can be taking right there. And we need to be making those arguments in meetings. So, yes, we've got a rather centrist president. Yes, the leader of the Labour Party isn't as left as some of us would like. Yes, we have an 80-seat majority for the Conservatives in this country. Yes, Trumpism still exists, and it's still rabid within American politics, as we've seen from the from the election results. It's still there on mass, on millions and millions of people. But we need to start, instead of calling names, instead of pointing out how bad they are, let's say how good we are, let's say how good our policies are. And they can call us sort of Cuban sympathizers or communists or whatever. But what it won't take away is actually the reality that these policies will make a big difference in so many people's lives. And we should be loud, we should be proud, we should be out there at every meeting possible, at every rally possible, you know, really speaking to people and making those positive arguments. I think that there's nothing better than that. Certainly at the moment where people are a captive audience on Zoom and on social media, take advantage of that and really get involved. Uh, Ollie, anything to add to that? Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure I have anything to add to that. To be honest, that was. Uh, I, I might trim that and uh, have that as my like alarm every morning when I wake up for like my motivation or something. That was. That was really good. Um, <laughs> I, 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 he really has cracked it. I mean. <laughs> I'll start charging royalties on that then. I think I've, I found myself a little uh, moneymaker to pay for the rent. <laughs> <laughs> neoliberal Britain, eh? Um, <laughs> not, I'm not stressing you're neoliberal. I'm, I'm stressing you're, you're forced to, to act in a competitive market economy to, to earn a living. Anyway, um, I, th- I think, I think I, yeah, I agree. I, th- I think um, the, the role for the left now is to... Um, push hard for those candidates and those people that are in power. Essentially, we reverted to a soft left in, in both the UK, UK Labour and the US Democrats. I say revert in the case of US Democrats, it never it never wasn't. But there was a moment, a brief moment, where potentially a more radical candidate could, could have taken um, the presidential nomination. Um, but, you know, it, it's clear that we are reverting back to some form of soft left in, in a lot of these Anglophone sort of um, countries. And I think the role for the left is to push those candidates as much as they can and you know i'm sort of tired of the debate of you know do we do it within labor do we do it outside whatever i i really don't care actually that much if if people are in the party or they're outside it do i said this before do the good where you can when you can um, and if for you it makes sense and you can see a path to doing that within the party um, and 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 you think there's things to get involved in in your local party or or, or pressure groups in the party that, that makes sense to you that you think have a good chance of succeeding then you go for it and all power to you. Um, if for you there's other organisations that you want to devote more time and energy to, um, then then go and do that. 
And I, I do think um, I made a good point in our media the other day where they said actually to, to be a member of the Labour Party doesn't really take that much effort. Like if you want to do the bare minimum as a, as a sort of lefty within the party, you can stay, pay you know pay your dues, um, and and vote in in the NEC and, and party leadership elections every now and then. If you don't want to do more than that, you don't have to, and you can put your activist energy into into other sources if you really want to. If if you don't feel like it's worth your time engaging in any other ways, um, but I, but I would encourage people, you know, if they've got a reason to be active local party and some good councillors to to do what they can to support them as well. Um, so yeah, do do the good where you can when you can would be my advice. So you've been listening to Blog Tower One um, and our uh, US election special. We will be back to the business of of Britain um, and 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 Lincoln locally as well in our next podcast later on this week. Uh, so as we've recorded today, there's been some interesting announcements around a, a potential COVID vaccine um, and, and Boris Johnson's just done his press um, conference on that. So I'm sure we'll have lots to unpick as the just settles on that latest announcement and what that could mean for, for the future of, uh, of COVID in the country and, and lockdown and all the rest of it. But for now, um, you've been listening to me, Bradley Alsop, and you've been listening to Callum Roper. Thank you all for listening. Stay safe as always. And you've been listening to Ollie as well. Thank you, everyone.